I want to preach to you this morning about the ways of God. The ways of God. Let's begin reading in verse 1 of the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is considered a, a minor prophet. If you ever hear that phrase, a minor prophet, it does not mean that he's minor in the sense that his message was not as important. What it means is that his message was not as long. So the five major prophets, like Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and of course the book of Lamentations there with Jeremiah, those are considered major prophecies because of their length. Habakkuk, a minor prophet. But his message was very important. Let's see what he says here. He says, The burden which Habakkuk, the prophet, did see. So God gave him a vision uh, as he was burdened about what he was seeing. O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous, and therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Man, I mean, that, that's just so pertinent to our day. We're not enforcing laws. We're outvoted. The, the, the laws they are making don't make sense. I mean, that's, he's just frustrated. Verse 5. Behold, ye among the heathen, and regard, and wonder marvelously. This is, again, God speaking back to him. For I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it be told you. He says what he's going to do, and you won't believe it. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling place, places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards and are more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen will spread themselves and their horsemen shall come from afar. And they shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat. They shall come, for all, come all for violence. Their faces shall sup up as the east wind. And they shall gather the captivity as the sand. And they shall scoff at the kings and the princes and shall be a scorn unto them. They shall deride every stronghold, for they shall heap dust and take it. Then shall his mind change, and he shall pass over and offend, imputing his power unto his God. So they're going to come, basically said the Chaldeans are going to come and judge Judah. And then they're going to give credit to their false gods and to their own strength. So I hope you understand what's, what's happening here. Habakkuk is basically saying, I'm seeing all of these problems, and it's a burden, and why aren't you doing anything about it? And he comes and says, well, I'm going to do something about it. I'm just going to do it the way you think I should do it. I'm going to send the wicked Chaldeans to judge your wickedness. And he said, I, I can't believe this. And so that's the message this morning, the ways of God. And we'll develop this prophecy, this, these three chapters together but this morning. Let's learn a little bit about God today, okay? Heavenly Father, I pray you'd speak to our hearts and help us. Thank you for the message. Thank you for the time in which it is given. And I pray that you'd help us to learn it and apply it to our lives, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Well, there are definitely some tough questions in life. I have a couple of questions for you. What are two things you can never eat for breakfast? Lunch and dinner. There you go. Some of you got that. All right, put Google away for a moment, all right? What can be broken but never held? A promise. Yes, sir. What goes up but never comes down? Your age. That's right. All right, so these are some tough riddles, right? And maybe tough questions. Uh, maybe some of, some of you heard them. Some of you know them. Some of you are still going, what? Uh, what? 
But there are some tough questions in life. And while these are just riddles, they're not very significant questions, there are some significant and important questions in life. Here's a very serious question that has been asked for a long time. Why do good people suffer and evil people prosper? Why does that happen? Uh, Here's a tough question. It's a question that I believe Habakkuk is asking. In fact, these are questions that Habakkuk is asking in this book. Why do good people suffer and evil people prosper? But he also asks, why isn't God answering my prayers? I think everybody in this room, if you've tried to walk with God for any measure of time, there's been something that has a burden on your heart, something that was very serious to you, and you were asking God to answer, and you felt as if God was not answering your prayer. Here's a question that Habakkuk asks. When I'm doing my best for the Lord, why am I experiencing the worst from others? Now, I think any servant of the Lord has had that experience in their life. Man, I, I, I'm giving, I'm doing the best that I can, and, and, and I'm, I'm feeble in my own right, I'm not perfect, I'm not everything that I ought to be, but I'm doing the best that I can. And why, when I give my best, do I receive the worst from others? These are serious and important questions that Habakkuk is asking in this brief book. They, these questions that he is asking are some questions that have riddled people from the very beginning. In fact, that first question, why do good people suffer and evil people prosper, that comes from the book of Job. Isn't that what the entire book of Job, 42 chapters, is really about? And Job is the oldest book in the Bible. So for centuries, people have been asking that question. Well, as we come to the letter of Habakkuk, proper hermeneutics is a fancy word for Bible study. It demands that we study the background of what is going on here. So basically what I'm saying is, let's take a good hard look at Habakkuk's problem And then we'll proceed to some principles that are going to help us in our life. Understand that Habakkuk is ministering to the southern kingdom of Judah. If you'll remember, Judah and Israel had a split, and so Israel was the north kingdom. Judah was a smaller-sized kingdom, and it was in the south. Judah had some good kings from time to time, but they were predominantly bad. Israel never had a single good leader. And in the time of Habakkuk's writing, what you find is the kingdom was rapidly deteriorating. I mean, things were going south in a hurry. And what we mean by that is it had experienced a season of revival. There was a good king. If you remember in the Bible, his name was Josiah. And he he had done some great things in the nation. He He had really cleaned out some bad things. He had done some religious reform in the nation. But what happened is those reforms turned out to be very superficial. Because what happened is when Josiah died, when he passed off the scene, the revival died with him. And it's kind of a sobering reminder to us all to make sure that, man, we, if God does some infusing work in our life, He does some reviving work in our life, then we need to make sure that we stay connected to Him. Because if, if we stay connected to a personality, when that personality is gone, then so does the growth and the work that has been done in our life if it's just superficial in nature. And what I'm saying about that is sometimes you see that. You, sometimes you'll see a church that will boom during the leadership of a certain pastor and then die thereafter and I want to stay connected to the Lord and and make sure that it's the Lord that does the reviving and the work and it's not superficial in our worship hey and let that be a reminder to our church listen I know that there are some times that I'm not here and I'm not preaching in the pulpit make sure that we stay connected to the Lord and to his word because it is what gives us the sustenance that we need for our spiritual life 
So Josiah came in and he did wonderful things and God used that person and God does use people. And I'm thankful that he creates personalities and he create, gives them gifts and he uses those people to do great things like he did Josiah. But it was such a sad thing that the revival died when Josiah died. And so now we, we find that Jehoiakim is now leading them. If you know anything about the Bible, Jehoiakim was a, a horrible leader. He was a wicked man, and he led the nation to disaster. And we come to verse 1, and it says, The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. Habakkuk is totally burdened about the state of his nation. He's looking around, and he's like, I do not like what I see. I mean, if Barna would have called him on the phone and they said, uh, Let me ask you, do you think the nation is headed in the right direction? He would have said, Absolutely not. So what do you mean? Well, he kind of gives what his thoughts are. In verse 2 and verse 3, he says that violence and crime were absolutely out of control. That was a burden to it. I understand, you, you know, I'm not trying to make light of the Bible, but if we could contextualize him and put him in our culture, I mean, he would have looked on social media and he would have seen videos of people just walking into Apple stores and taking whatever they want and walking right out. He would have seen people going into Walgreens and just clearing the shelves and putting it in their basket and walking out. And he would have been burdened. He would say, how is this happening in all the places of Judah, a land that has experienced revival, a land of God's people? How is this happening here that there is crime out of control? He would have seen videos of people shoving somebody into the subway. He would have seen stabbings and fights breaking out in the street. He would have watched robbings of bodegas and he would have been burdened about it. How's this happening here? Verse 4. He was burdened because he said the law is slacked. He said laws are not being applied equitably and they're not being applied honestly. I mean, just recently on the news, I, I was bothered. I, I, I heard that uh, there are some places that are now pro prohibiting background checks for people who own apartment buildings. They cannot do background checks to check for felonies of prospective tenants, but yet government-owned uh, apartment complexes can. Hmm. He would have seen things like that, and he would have said, this bothers me. How, how is this happening here? At the end of verse 4, he says there, the wicked doth compass about the righteous Therefore, wrong judgment proceedeth. He, he's basically saying in a poetic way there, the wrong seem to be outvoting and outnumbering the right. And he's burdened. He had some questions. Some real questions. Important questions. Epicurus was not a believer. He was a Greek philosopher. And many, many years ago, he asked this question. And I, I do not ask this question to try and disrupt anybody's faith here. I, I want to build your faith today. I want, to, I want you to walk out after this sermon with a greater faith and a greater God than when you came in. But he did ask a sobering, serious question. He once asked this, Is God willing to prevent evil, but not able? Then He is not powerful. Is He able, but not willing? then he is not good. Man, that's a, that's a pretty serious indicting question there. You see, Habakkuk is facing these same issues. He says, I, I cried out to God and he didn't hear. 
Now, now either he's unable to do something about it, or, or maybe he's not good enough to do something about it, and, and he was really struggling with this. But that's what I want to remind you about this morning again. I want to say to you like the prophet said years ago, his thoughts are not your thoughts, and his ways are not your ways. And God comes in, and what's interesting, what's almost, uh, almost humorous, is Habakkuk starts off saying, God, why aren't you listening to me? And then in verse 5, God starts speaking, and what's interesting is this little book of three chapters, it's the only one like it in all of the Bible. This three-chapter book is nothing but a conversation between Habakkuk and God. Like you go to Job. Did God speak to Job in that book? Certainly He did. But that's not the only conversation that's going on here. And so here's Habakkuk complaining that God's not listening and God's not speaking when God's doing most of the talking in the book to Habakkuk himself. I think what we need to get a hold of is God's ways are not always our ways and God's thoughts are not always our our thoughts. And so let's take a look at what we learn right out of the gate in these first 11 verses that are going to help us as we move forward in this message. I want to give you two facts about the ways of God. Two facts about the ways of God. Number one, God's ways are often misunderstood. Habakkuk is burdened about the state of his nation, but the silence of God in the face of this suffering, it it added to that burden. It made a a heavy burden a little bit more heavier. I mean, for example, and these are some questions that you and I might have. Maybe Habakkuk is asking this, why doesn't he strike these people dead for their blasphemy? I mean, come on, let's just be honest. It's church. You're supposed to be honest in church. Have you you ever felt like James and John did? You remember those guys that Jesus nicknamed the sons of thunder? They looked at the Samaritans and they said, man, those guys aren't right. Let's call fire down from heaven and consume them. Have you ever looked at the wickedness of of, of humanity at times and thought, why, why does God put up with this? Because I've just had it up to here. I mean, man, if, if, and by the way, we can all just pause and take a deep breath. And aren't you glad I'm not God? Aren't you glad you're not God? Because, boy, the population would be decreased. I mean, man, you cut me off in traffic. I mean, you're gone, buddy. I mean, you know. Why doesn't God strike these people dead for their blasphemy? I mean, here's a great question. Why does God allow so many wrong things to be done? And let me give a clarification. In His name. It wasn't, but maybe earlier this year, it wasn't a long time ago, that right here in the buckle of the Bible Belt, South Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina, there was a so-called church, and I'm, I'm... trying to bite my tongue a little bit, Trinity Lutheran in Greenville, who allowed a drag queen show up up in there, and it was advertised all over the the, the internet. Right here in, I'm not talking about California, folks. I'm not talking about New York City. I'm talking about South Carolina. Why does God allow such wickedness to be done? In His name. Here's a good question. Why hasn't God... Why hasn't God answered the prayers of His faithful people? Listen, I'm looking in the faces of some good, godly people. And you, like many others in this room, have sincerely and fervently at times in your life prayed for revival. There are people in this room, along with myself and others, who have truly lamented over the state of affairs in our nation. And I'm not talking about that wicked crowd over there. I'm talking about our crowd. 
God, the church isn't doing what it ought to do. God, I'm not what I ought to be. And we have tried to practice that verse that says, if my people, which are called by my name, will confess not somebody else's sins, their sins. And we've done that. We, we've fervently and sincerely prayed. We've confessed our sins. But yet, yet, we feel as if nothing has happened. But I want you to notice something in our text. I want you to notice that the focus is on how Habakkuk saw the problem. It's not on how God saw the problem. Habakkuk is saying, God's not listening to me. And again, this wasn't the first time that Habakkuk had prayed to God about this mess. That's why he says, oh Lord, how long shall I cry? He's, he's indicating, I've prayed about this over and over and over and over again. And, and, he, and he goes on to say in verse 2, how long will I cry and you're not here? I even cry and you have violence and you're not saved. I mean, he's kind of like he's crying out, help, this is going on, please help me. And come to my rescue and nothing's happening. And I think Habakkuk is looking at it from his own perspective instead of looking at it from God's perspective because the problem begins because God doesn't seem to hear what Habakkuk has to say about it. Now think about it in terms, this is practical, this might help you. When it comes to communication, here's what I've learned about myself and about other people, and I, again, I, I don't always get it right, but sometimes when you're, when you're having a problem with somebody and you're trying to communicate, here's what we tend to do. We work really hard. We work really, really, really hard so the other person understands what we're saying. And it's our goal in communication to get somebody else to understand what we're saying. And too often we miss that because we're not working to understand what they're saying. And it's a two-way street. And I think that I see Habakkuk, and he's very frustrated because he's trying to get God to understand what he's saying instead of trying to yield himself to understand what God is saying. The funny thing is, again, this is a book that's a conversation between the two as if God's not listening to him. How about this? He's seeing it only because God isn't looking at what is going on. To him, it's like God is turning a blind eye to the situation, and he's frustrated because he thinks God is not doing his job. But let me help you out this morning, church. We are either going to look at God through our problems, or we are going to look at our problems through God. And I think Habakkuk makes a mistake starting out here. He is looking at God through his problems. He, he, he's saying, well, apparently God's not big enough. Apparently, God doesn't care enough. Apparently, God's not able enough. And, and he is looking at God through his problems. And listen to me this morning. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm just trying to preach faithfully the text. But listen, I think a lot of Christians have made that mistake in recent years. We look at the problems in our nation. We look at the problems in our politics. We look at the problems in our morals. We look at the problems in our churches. And we look at God through the lens of our problems. And we form our ideas about God and our theology about God and, and our, our spirit is affected by this because we are looking at God through the lens of our problems. But friend, the church has got to stop that today. What we need to say is, yeah, we got problems. We got a God that's way bigger than our problems. Yeah, we, we got issues, but this is the first time in the history of humanity there were issues. Hey, listen, folks, it's Christmas season. The greatest problem of all is our sin. It's our heart problem. And God solved that problem. And you and I are here today as a testimony of the fact that God has solved our sin problem when we put our faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's time we start seeing our problems through the lens of our great God. You see, if you look at God through your problems... 
You might just think he doesn't care. But I want to encourage you today. What I'm telling you is God is working on whatever it is you're worrying about. Here's the back of all keyed up. Any of you ever get keyed up? Am I the only one that gets keyed up sometimes? He's all keyed up and worked up. And God's like, hey, bub, I'm working on what, it, what you're worrying about. And you say, well, that's awful mysterious to me. Or I, I just don't understand why God does that. I, I don't quite get that. Hey, let me, just, let me just throw this your way today. Again, I'm trying to encourage you. The Lord cares. Frank Graff, that name might not mean anything to you. He was known in his day in the 1800s as the Sunshine Minister. And he was known for that uh, for obvious reasons. He had a very positive attitude and very cheery disposition. Uh, you would think that somebody that's known as the Sunshine Minister and has this just positive, cheery disposition all the time, I mean, come on, some people are just born that way, wired that way, and how many of you that are a little bit more cynical and realistic want to bop them in the nose every once in a while? He was this sunshine minister, and you would think somebody with that disposition is that way because they just had a problem-free life. I mean, everything was good. I mean, it's just the ball, and there are some people in life that way. The ball just bounces their way. But you know, the truth of the matter is, is that was not his story. And one time, he was dealing with some very serious physical issues. Well, he didn't let on to everybody else. He he began to doubt God's presence in times of suffering in people's lives. But he did what Christians ought to do. He attached himself to the Scripture. And, and almost by, in his way, from his vantage point, by accident, he stumbled on 1 Peter 5.7. Now we know that that wouldn't have been by accident, but he stumbled upon 1 Peter 5.7. And if you know that text, it says this, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And here he is questioning and doubting God's involvement and presence in his suffering. And so he latched on to that expression, he careth for you. Man, that's what biblical meditation is, man. Just thinking about God's truth and just chewing on it over and over and over again from every angle. And he began to think about that. He careth for you. He careth for you. He careth for you. And he, he went home and he wrote a poem. Some of you will recognize it. He wrote these words. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song? As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long? Oh yes, He cares. I know He cares. His heart is touched with my grief. I know my Savior cares. I, I want to encourage the church this morning. Habakkuk was frustrated and he misunderstood the character of God. He did not understand the ways and the movements and the motions and the timing of God. And what he began to do is he began to misunderstand God's silence as if God was indifferent to what is going on. And I want you to understand this morning I cannot stand here and tell you exactly why God is doing what He's doing because the ways of God are often misunderstood. His thoughts are higher than mine. So I don't know exactly what God is doing, but I know enough of His revealed character to tell you this. If God is silent in the moment 
and we look around and we say, what is going on? I know enough of the character of God to know that his silence is not indifference. Do not misunderstand God's idleness for inaction. Do not misunderstand God's ways for your ways. Listen, we love to play that game, don't we? We do it in sports. I tell you what, if I was a coach, I'd have taken that quarterback out a long time ago and we'd have made the playoffs. <laughs> I tell you what, if I was the president, we'd blah, 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 blah. And listen, I'm not going to argue with you. I think a lot of you in this room could do a better job. <laughs> but we love to play that game. And friend, it's one thing if you want to talk about the president or our congressman or you want to talk about the head coach or the quarterback. Uh, it's one thing if you want to do that stuff. But when it comes to God, sometimes we kind of get up on our perch and we say, I'll tell you what, boy, if I was running this universe, don't ever confuse your character and God's character. That's a bad mistake. So God quickly, he comes in and he reminds Habakkuk right away. Yeah, I'm used to being misunderstood. A lot of people don't understand what I, they don't know what I know. They don't see what I see because I'm the omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient God. I, I know exactly what's going on. He's used to being misunderstood. And Habakkuk, one of his own choice servants, misunderstood him. The truth of the matter is, is you and I sometimes misunderstand him. I want you to see, not only that, God's ways are often mysterious. I know pretty similar points, but I want to expound upon this. Again, Habakkuk knew exactly what should have been done. He says to God, here's what needs to be done. You need to come down here and you need to chastise these evildoers and you need to send revival right now. He basically accuses God of not doing anything. Boy, I've learned that in leadership. A lot of times people, people get, get upset and they'll say, well, that, they're not doing anything, but really what they mean is they aren't doing what I want them to do. And Habakkuk was kind of upset at God for not doing what he wanted him to do. And it just reminds us that, we, again, we make that mistake. We tend to prescribe answers to our own prayers. We think that God can only come in one way and do it that, that one specific way. But the Bible teaches us that God sometimes answers our prayers by allowing things to become worse before they ever become better. I'll give you a biblical example of what I'm talking about. Mary and Martha had a brother named Lazarus. And it was well known that Jesus loved Lazarus. And Lazarus was sick, even to the point of dying. And they sent to Jesus and they said, hey, come heal him. Get here right away. I mean, drop whatever it is you're doing and get here. And, got, and Jesus said, all right, I'll get there. And he just kept piddling around, didn't he? That's not the way it's supposed to be done. You're supposed to drop what you're doing and get here ASAP and do your little healing thing and do that thing and raise him up. But Jesus purposely waited days. He had been buried and put in a tomb 
so much that his body started to decay and started to rot. And isn't that what Martha said to him? If you had been here, our brother had not died. If you'd have got here when we told... And she totally discounted the fact that Jesus could have raised him from the dead. He could have done it a different way. He could have done whatever he wanted to do. But yet it was in her mind, it had to be done this way and this way alone. We often do that. But I want you to see this morning, it is a fundamental lesson in the life of faith. If you're going to live a life of faith, this is a fundamental lesson you must get. That we must always be prepared for the unexpected when it comes to dealing with God. Because God shows up in verse 5 and He says, oh, I'm going to answer your prayer. I've been listening to you. I've heard everything that you've said and everything that you've recommended. And I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. And the truth is, is when I tell you what I'm going to do, you're not even going to believe me. It's so outside of the boundaries of what you would consider normal, it's going to blow your socks off. And by the way, men, men have done that for a long time. For example, let me give you some Bible examples again. Noah, old Noah is out there hammering and sawing and cutting away on some planks of wood and his neighbors come and say, what you doing, Noah? Well, I'm building me a boat. That's an awful big boat. Yeah, we're going to need a big one. There's going to be a lot of water around here. Where's this water going to come from? The sky. That's ridiculous. I ain't never seen one single drop of water fall from the sky ever in my life. Oh, but it did, didn't it? Hey, I'll give you another one. Maybe not as righteous, but... but uh, Lot was warned that God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. How's he going to do it? Fire's going to fall from heaven. <laughs> you religious kooks. Bunch of, I don't believe that. I don't believe that for a second. I bet you believe in a tooth fairy too. Oh, but fire did fall from heaven and it did destroy it, didn't it? And God says to Habakkuk, I'm going to tell you something and you're not going to believe it even though I'm going to tell you. Oh, I'm going to judge Judah. But I'm going to send the Chaldeans, a group of wicked people, more wicked than you, to come and do it. Pretty interesting. But you know what that teaches us right there? God does not ever stop to consult us. <laughs> Listen, I think the Bible teaches us as human beings that there's multitude in this, or there's safety in the multitude of counselors. But God doesn't need your counsel and He doesn't need my counsel. In fact, we, we sing that. It's a good song that we've added to our, our songs here. Uh, Behold our God. And I like that line in it that says, Who has given counsel to the Lord? Who can question any of His Word? What a great line in that song. Because God is not one that needs your advice. God does not need me to give Him a counsel on how to run the world. He doesn't need me to give Him counsel on how to judge the wicked. And he doesn't need me to give him counsel on how to save the righteous. God knows exactly what he's doing. The problem is, is we are, we've kind of been in, developed this idea to be exclusively concerned with our own personal problems. And I think that that happens to us all. We just get, we get tunnel vision on what's going on in our life, in our life alone. 
I got financial problems. I got family problems. I got physical problems. I, I got this going on. And, it, and it's as if the, the rest of the world needs to stop and care about what's going on in my life. Well, I'm sorry. This is just being a realistic here. The world doesn't stop when you got problems. And there are other problems going on besides your problems. But we have been so trained that Jesus is a personal Savior. We serve a personal God. We, everything's personal, personal, and it's tailor-made just for us. But I want you to know this morning, I'm thankful for the personal relationship that I have with Jesus. Are you? I'm thankful that I can boldly enter into His presence and obtain help and grace in my time of need. I'm thankful for all of those things. But listen, that's not the only theme going on in the Bible. God's doing something in this world. God's doing something in redemption. God's doing something in salvation and judgment and righteousness that goes far beyond our little nook of the world. It goes far beyond Anderson, South Carolina. It goes far beyond Oakwood Baptist Church. Now listen, I love our community and I love our church and I love our families. And, I, and man, I understand all that. And I'm thankful that he knows the hairs on our head and he knows all of these things. A sparrow can't fall from the tree dead without God knowing how much more me in, in, in his concern. I get all of that. But don't ever limit God to just working here. And so he tells us what the key to this whole thing is. Look at, verse 20, look at chapter 2 and verse 4. This is the key verse of the whole book. It's a key verse in the whole Bible. He says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Here's what I'm saying to you tonight or this morning. In the end, we're all going to find out what God's plan exactly is. But for now, you have to trust Him and put faith in Him. I'll close with one illustration. You know, our trials are like puzzles. How many like to do puzzles? Like to do jig puzzles? I, I knew there would be a bunch of you here. I've visited homes and you see it card table out and somebody working on a puzzle. I personally don't uh, get too excited about puzzles. I don't know that I have enough patience to sit there and do that. But every once in a while when my girls or something, they'll get a puzzle out and they'll start working on it and kind of do that. Now, I, I, I'm a little bit more mischievous, so I'm, I'm the guy that wants to steal one of those pieces and hide it somewhere <laughs> and then put it in. Like, ah, I did the puzzle. Check it out. Check it out. But, you know, we call them puzzles for a reason. Why? Be because it's puzzling until everything fits together. Now, if you're a real puzzle master, boy, I don't know, maybe you just, you don't even look at the picture on the box. You just dump it out and start going. Or maybe you have some kind of idea of what it's supposed to look like and you start working from there. But again, it, until, until everything fits together, you can't see what the whole thing is. And you know, that's what they do with puzzles. They have some beautiful landscape. They have some amazing uh, photograph. They have something beautiful. And I'm telling you, what God does is it might look like a jumbled up mess. It might look like a bunch of broken pieces. It might look like a bunch of messed up parts. But God is putting a piece here and putting a piece there and putting a piece there until something beautiful comes together. And it's our responsibility as people who bear His name, who profess Him as, 
as our God to walk by faith and allow Him to put the puzzle together. Hey, if we're going to be just, if we're going to be righteous people, we must walk by faith and not by sight. When you start walking by sight, you're looking around in a mess. I can't make heads or tails of this thing. But friend, you walk by faith. You know, hey, sometimes people misunderstand what God's doing, and sometimes people, people don't recognize that my God does things a little different than the way man would do them. But I'm going to trust Him. So let me ask you some questions this morning. Question number one is this. Have you mistaken God's silence as indifference? Here's a good way of asking it. Have you been upset with God because He's not doing things the way you think He should do them? My second set of questions is this. Have His ways ever confused you? Oh, they have me. And I've sat there before going, God, what are you doing? What, what are you doing here? But I think the biggest question is this. Will you trust Him? It's one thing to question, what are you doing? It's another thing to say, okay, all right, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. And the truth of the matter is, let me make this application I'm done this morning. That's exactly what salvation is all about. Because the truth of the matter is, if I was going to save the world, I'd have probably done it differently than the way God did. But that's the way He's done it. And you have to decide, are you going to trust Him for your soul? Are you going to trust His death, burial, and resurrection for your soul, or are you not? Because it doesn't always make sense. to Some, some people say, well, that, it, I have literally had people say this to me, and you've probably heard it too. That's just too easy. You know what they're saying? That's too mysterious. That doesn't make sense. I, I, you telling me I don't have to do anything, I just have to trust Him? <laughs> no, that's too easy. Surely i got to at least be baptized. Surely I at least have to stop doing this and start doing that. No, no, you just need to trust Him. Well, that doesn't make sense. Well, you're either going to live by faith or you're going to live by sight. Which one's it going to be?